Welcome to the Connecting Place podcast. Here is today's message. Good morning, all. Good morning. You all look so good out there. And you're ready to hear the word, aren't you? Amen. Praise the Lord. All right, I've been given an assignment to come before you today, and I'm using as a title, Gray is the New Black. You know, in the fashion industry, um, there's always new trends and new fads and new styles. And um, because of this, they'll say something is in or this is out, that's in, this is out. And whatever's in, they refer to it as the New Black. Because black, out of all the colors, never go out of style. Because it is the most elegant color in the fashion industry. Well, there's a a spectrum of trends, not only in the fashion world, but come and go in our life. And we need to know and understand if those trends are of God or if they're not of God. So, therefore, we must think, is this something I should be buying into? Well, you're not going to know that unless you know the truth. Now, how can I hold on to the truth when I'm in a world with so many trends coming and going? How can I hold on to the truth? I'd like to share the story with you because sometimes that's extremely difficult. It's a real dilemma. My daughter was going to the prom in 11th grade, and she said to me on the day of the prom, she said, Dad, I would like to stay over at the hotel tonight after the prom is out, approximately around 1 1 a.m. We want to spend the rest of the night in the hotel. I said, what? (laughs) Is you crazy? Dad, everybody's doing it. That's what they do now. When the prom lets out, we go and we rent rooms and we say, I'm not my daughter. But you know what? That was a real problem because she is dealing with peer pressure and dealing with what her culture is trying to tell her is okay. And I'm dealing with trying to keep her in a way for her best interest. So, but anyway, she goes to the prom. Lo and behold, by morning time, my daughter wasn't home. I was furious. So I went down to the hotel, my wife and I, and we didn't find her there. None of the kids were there. So now I'm turned to fury, to concern. So I go to the police station, file a report. Then I go back home, and when I get home, my daughter is standing in her bedroom with a prom gown still on. I take my belt off. <laughs> my brother Raymond said, man, <laughs> I used to be a little bigger, and he said, man, that is an everlasting, eternal belt. <laughs> <laughs> That thing don't never get done coming out. (laughs) I took my everlasting eternal belt, and I commenced to giving her 
one of them whoopings that I used to get. But only we didn't call them whoopings. We called them killings. <laughs> you know, and my mom or my daddy, my daddy didn't whoop me that much. You know, daddies don't play. You just, <laughs> they don't play. <laughs> but mama, she used to whoop me all the time. <laughs> and uh, when they whoop you, they talk to you. And they got this rhythm going on, Brandon. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and I thought I told you to be home. And then right when you think they're done, they're walking away and they just get mad all over and they say, but oh no, you grown, huh? They just get to asking you questions about how grown you is now. You grown. I started in on giving her one of them kind of whoopings. But I only got about four or five licks in, and something come over me. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> said, stop it. You're too angry to be disciplining her. And I just dropped the belt. And to me, it's always funny to me, because when I think back on it, you know, it reminds me of them old, old movies when a guy would kill somebody, and, and in the scene, all of us say it's quiet, he shoots and kills somebody, and then this dramatic music comes in. Dun! Then he drops the gun. That's what it was like. I was whooping her, he's like, stop. And I just dropped the belt in the middle of the bedroom floor. I rushed out of the room, down the steps, into my car, and I went for a ride, because I was angry. You know, my parents never told me this, but some parents tell their children, honey, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. <laughs> I'm glad my parents never told me that. But you know something, church? When I drove off and I got alone, I was hurt. I was hurt. I was hurt, man. Because... There was a culture pulling my daughter in one direction that wasn't good for her. And here I was in this tug of war trying to keep her pulled in this other direction that was for her best interest. Some of you have been there. Some of you are there right now. Well, I want to let you know that God will give you the victory. Don't think God will give you the victory. Those are difficult times. And it's hard to hold on to the truth when trends constantly oppose it. But listen, just because it's trending doesn't mean it's true. You know, I told my wife years ago, she come, oh, honey, I got this dress on sale. Only paid $30 for it or $25, whatever the case may be. I say, honey, just because it was on sale don't mean you got a good buy. And the first thing I do is I go to looking at the dress to see what the material is. If it's 50% poly and 50% ester, you didn't get a good buy. If something is trending, it 
doesn't mean it's truth. And if we, the church, don't know that, then the world is completely lost. I want to propose to you five propositions. Don't think because it's a proposition that it's not, they're not factual. They are factual, but they're a proposition because I have to present them to you for you to consider them. And the reason I have to present them to you for you to consider them because a large degree of this message has a huge element of conspiracy to it. And probably most of you are like me. I never believe in conspiracy theories, almost never. Probably 99% of the time, I don't believe in conspiracy theories. The only time I believe in a conspiracy, it truly has to be a conspiracy. But I want you to know that this is an awareness message. My assignment is to not make you feel good. It's not to make you jump and shout. But my assignment is to make you aware of the fact that all the black and whites are being changed more and more and more into grays. And that is a plot and a plan that Satan has put in force. Proposition number one says, when we look at Genesis chapter one, and we're going to read for you verses uh, one through four. The snake was more clever than all the wild animals the Lord God had made. Now know this, church, when the enemy is trying to promote his causes, he always looks for someone very intelligent, very inspiring, very influential. He looks for something that's so effective that they're going to easily influence people. In this particular case, we see the enemy operating from the garden. And I want you to know in Proposition 1 that I'm presenting to you, it is meant to show you that one tactic, just one tactic, is to create grays. And he creates a gray by using the most clever animal in the garden. And this animal, the snake, asked the woman, did God really say? Now, that's a very effective tactic. For instance, if I was to ask my brother over here, uh, what time is it? And he said 12 o'clock. And then two or three minutes later, I say to him, are you, sh are you sure it's 12 o'clock? More than likely, more than likely, he'll look at his watch again. But yeah, it's 12 o'clock. Well, actually, it's three after now. Because when you propose a question twice, you make people reconsider. The devil proposed this question to her to make her reconsider. Now listen, church, let me tell you something. If you don't own the truth when a new trend comes, you'll consider it. You'll consider it. And that's just what Satan wants. He wants you to consider it. Because this is the trend now. This is what's popular now. But just because it's trending, that don't mean it's the truth. Could somebody say amen? amen. All right. 
So, moving on, we see she didn't own the truth. You know, you can know the truth and not necessarily own it. But in this case, we see that she didn't own it. Then the scripture reads on. She responds back to him, you must never eat the fruit of any tree in the garden. Now, let me tell you something. If she owned the truth, we know from the book of James that if you resist the devil, he'll flee from you. If she owned that truth, she wouldn't have been in a dialogue with Satan. She would have told him the way it was and stomped her foot, and that would have been the end of it. And that's another thing that we got to look out for. You know, we want to get into a dialogue about, well, maybe this, maybe that. Well, maybe nothing. The truth is solid as a rock, and it's immovable. Now, another point in this passage that we see that is, that is worth looking at is in verse 2, the woman answered the snake, we're allowed to eat the fruit of any tree in the garden except the tree in the middle of the garden. God said you must never eat it or touch it. If you do, you will die. Now, I want to tell you something about that tree in the middle of the garden. That tree could have been on the north side. It could have been in the southern part of the orchard. It could have been on the west or the east. It could have been anywhere else except for in the middle. But you know why it was in the middle? Because it was choice. And they had to have access. God wanted them to have access to choice every day. So he can know and so that they can know that they're serving him by choice. All of us have a tree in the middle of the garden of our life. Some of you maybe can't get past that tree. Some of you maybe have just gotten a victory over it. And you're able to walk past it. That tree might be a person. It might be an old relationship. It could be anything. And you're able to walk past it now and not partake of it. But oftentimes, we're in the middle of struggling with some kind of tree in the middle of the garden of our life that we haven't quite gotten to a place. But I got good news for you. Because you're in the age of grace, God will stay with you until you get the victory. He absolutely never gives up on you. Well, you better know that. Where sin abounds, grace does more abound. He never gives up on you. He will let you play, so to speak, until you win. Thank God for that. Now, let's move on to proposition number two. Now, I'm going to repeat this again. I'm presenting these factual propositions to you because I want you to understand that you got to see it. There's a conspiracy going on, but you got to see it. Because if you don't see it, then the enemy can continue to do his work. As my mom could say, he could build a bridge over your head. Just go all over your head doing stuff, and you're not the wiser. Proposition number two is Jesus is a truth personified, and yet he was called in question. 
We see that when he was brought to trial and brought before Pilate in John 18, 38. He told Pilate, I was born into the world to testify to the truth. And Pilate responded to him, what is truth? With contempt and disdain, he asked him, what is truth? That is the spirit of this world. That is the spirit of our culture. They don't want you relying on truth, and you sure better not try to tell them that they should be doing this or that because that's the truth. Their attitude is, what is truth? Now, if you notice, back in Genesis, uh, where we just left, the, the woman was asked, did God really say? Now, I brought out the point that she didn't own it, but now I want to bring out the point from the same uh, part of the verse, the fact that the devil had the nerve, the audacity to say, did God really say that? You know, this culture has the nerve and the audacity to say to you and I, really think there's a God? Or do you really think you should be doing that, giving your money to the church? Or do you, it just goes on and on, right? It just goes on and on. Because they're questioning the truth. What do you think the Da Vinci Code was all about? The Da Vinci Code was a suggestion that perhaps the gospel there may have been a, an alternative to the gospel that even included this ideal that possibly Jesus married Mary Magdalene. Listen, church, this is a conspiracy that's been going on since back in the garden. But it has picked up greater and more momentum now than it ever had. Think about it. A book to suggest that the Bible is false. It's just a suggestion and speculation, but that's enough to poison the minds of people who don't really know the truth. That's what it was all about. You know, I'm reminded of my brother. He's, he's five years younger than me. I'm reminded of when he got saved. He was walking down the streets in Pittsburgh. He's going to school down there. But one day he's walking down the street of Pittsburgh, and he said to me later, he says, Albert, a thought occurred to me. He says, I know now it was the Holy Spirit. He said, a thought occurred to me. There's only one man ever in history that they marked and dated time by. B.C. and A.D. He said, that blew me away. The Holy Spirit used that to get him. He was working on him in other ways, but that was the breaking point right there. He said, that got me. He said, because never ever has there been a man in history that has affected time in such a way that they would mark time by his birth and by his death. And that's because, church, he is the truth personified. He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings, and though they thought they killed him, and buried him. You can't kill and bury the truth 
It'll resurrect on you every time. Hallelujah. Let's go on to Proposition 3. Proposition 3. Understanding line upon line and precept upon precept. Man, I tell you, this is the heart of the conspiracy element of this message. Because what happens here is Satan steals from God a method that is very effective. He steals from him the method of repetition. You know, repetition is the mother of learning. You hear something long enough, you'll, you'll learn it. My daughter, my oldest daughter, you know, she was, she was pretty smart, graduated very high in her class, very high. And she hardly never looked at any homework or anything. And uh, she got great grades. She was on honor society the whole time. My second daughter was on honor society too, but she studied. And I remember my oldest daughter telling me, she said, when Sissy gets to college, she'll do well. And she was right. Because my oldest daughter didn't have no good study habits because it just came so easy. But my middle girl, she applied herself. And as she applied herself, she ended up on the dean's list several times more than the oldest girl. Because why? She would apply herself. She would give herself to repetition, repetition, repetition until she owned the material. Now, Satan's plan is to run something by you, particularly the world. They're the most vulnerable and gullible. To run it by you so many times that he teaches it to you. Here's the number one way he does that. That's the method. I want to show you what the tool is. The number one tool he uses is the music industry. Because, see, he can indoctrinate the world through music. He teaches them what they should be saying and what they should be believing and ultimately how they should be behaving from the lyrics of songs. And to prove that, I show you a huge and a stark contrast between four or five decades ago the lyrics we heard till now. Now, in preparation for this message, I searched a lot of songs. Man, I had songs about the Beatles. I had songs about the Temptations. So I finally just had to snap out of it and say, look, you're not going to be able to present all that. <laughs> so I got one song, okay? And the song I got representing four or five decades ago is by the Jackson Five. Now, okay, but before I give you that, before I give you that, let me back up. I got a little ahead of myself. Let me back up on Isaiah 28, 9, and 10, because I never read you the scripture. Listen to this. Who does the Lord think we are? They asked. Why does he speak to us like this? Are we little children just recently weaned? He tells us everything over and over, and line at a time, one line at a time, a little here and a little there. These were people complaining about the prophet Isaiah 
and his technique to bring the word of God to them continually over and over and over. And when I read that, and I seen the repeating of it, I thought about little Johnny. You know, we always got to pick on little Johnny, right? If it's a joke or a story, it's got to be a little Johnny. And I thought about little Johnny. Every Thursday night, his, his mama has to get on him about taking the trash out. And so here comes Thursday night, and Johnny's sitting down watching something he enjoys on TV, and his mom says, Johnny, it's Thursday night. You have to take the garbage out. And he gets up, gets the garbage, and walks out. And if you were to listen to him outside, you would hear him say, Johnny, it's Thursday night. You got to take the garbage out. <laughs> That's what they were doing in this passage to Isaiah. You think we're some kind of little kids or something? Over and over. He tells us the same thing over and over. But the reason for it is because, again, I repeat, repetition is the mother of learning. Satan, in his cleverness, has taken this method and employed it for his purposes. So, you hear lyrics in the music industry, and as I said, there's a stark difference from what we used to hear four or five decades ago to what we hear now. And that's not to say that there's not a lot of good lyrics out there now. I know there is, but for the most part, there's a huge difference. Let me give you an example. Um, the Jackson 5. Listen to these words. Let me fill your heart with joy and laughter. Women, wouldn't you say that's a nice thing for men to say to you? Huh? He's making an appeal to fill your heart with joy and laughter. And then he says, togetherness, that's all I'm after. Man, that's good stuff right there. That's what all women want. That's what they all want. Huh? That's all I'm after. And whenever you need me, I'll be there. That's good stuff. That's commitment talk right there, right? Absolutely. I'll be there to protect you. Hmm. With an unselfish love, I'll respect you. And then the song says, just call my name, I'll be there. I remember that old song by the Jackson 5. Just call my name and I'll be there. That's something to say to a woman, ain't it? Now let me show you what they're saying to her today. <laughs> God's treasure. Let me show you what they're saying to her today. This guy, I know his name, I just don't want to say his name. He got a song called Blurred Lines. Now you know that's dizzy already, ain't it? Blurred lines. <laughs> what could possibly come from that? Listen to this song. He says to her, apparently regarding another guy that she was with, apparently. He says, okay, now he was close. He tried to domesticate you. But you're an animal, baby. <laughs> you're an animal, baby. 
It's in your nature. No, it's not in our nature. We were made triune beings like God. And as beautiful as animals are, they do not have that third part about them that makes them triune beings where they can commune and worship with God. But we do. So she, nor any other human being, is an animal. But guess what? That's important to say because remember what he's doing. He's teaching. He's spreading his propaganda. He's indoctrinating the minds of people. And if he can get enough of this out, and he has, it takes its toll. And because they don't have the truth, this culture just laps it up. And they don't know any better. Then he says this. Well, this is really something. You don't need no papers. That man is not your maker. It's a clear attack on the institution of marriage. Do you hear it? Do you hear it? It's a clear attack. And Satan is doing this on purpose. That's what a conspiracy is. It's a plot, it's a plan, it's a scheme, a secret one to bring about evil and to do hurt and harm to the one targeted. All right. Prop four, Satan's work of deception has clear purpose, John 10.10. 10. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. You just got to know that everything Satan introduces to the culture he introduces it with the purpose of, well, first of all, he wants to enslave. But ultimately, he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. That's why he introduces it. Now, if you're as naive as the world and just lap everything up, you're going to be the victim of his plot. But we are the wiser church because we have the truth. He wants to turn all blacks into grays. All the black and whites, the things we could depend on, he wants to turn them into grays. But we have the truth. Jesus said, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. See, Satan wants to still kill and destroy, but Jesus wants to give us a rich and satisfying life. But when Satan first pitches it to our culture, he pitches it like something to be desired. But you don't know at the end of the course of it, it's destructive. Let's move on to Prop 5. But remember, just because it's trending, that don't mean it's truth. The way a thief steals from you is by force or by deception. 
So let's go right straight to the deception thing. Some people don't know this, but you know that an enemy, Satan, can absolutely do nothing to you. Nothing. Unless you let him. And the way we let him is, is when we buy in. You know, my wife and I once bought into uh, a, a cruise, and it was bogus. It even hurts me to stand up here to tell you that. That goes against everything in me. Because, number one, you got to remember, I'm from Ferrell. Now, 99% of y'all are sitting there saying, well, what do that mean? Well, you just got to be from Ferrell to know, okay? <laughs> we think we're all that. You ain't pulling nothing over on us. And number two, I was a corrections officer. So you ain't supposed to pull nothing over on me. But they got us that time. But God recompensed it back to us. I won't bother taking the time to tell you the story. But what I'm trying to say to you is, if you buy into the deception, then Satan can cause what he wants to affect your life to affect your life. The key is to not buy in to the deception. And the way you do that is you look at the truth and you say, is this the truth that I know, that I've always known for years? Because if it's not, then you need to stay away from it. Okay. Now, I've given you the fifth tactic is the way a thief steals is from you is by force or deception. So I've given you five tactics that he uses in his conspiracy against us. Now, there's a good example about deception in this book that is very, very popular called Fifty Shades of Grey. I'm sure many of you heard of it. Some of you perhaps have read it. It is a romance novel, very erotic, very explicit. It's way over the top. And it's, a it's an attempt. It's an attempt. So you've got to understand something. Even artists and authors don't always know what they're doing in terms of being a pawn in Satan's hand. But when you look at it, you can clearly see it's an attempt to redefine love. And it talks about S&M, if, if any of you guys know, I'm sure most of you probably know what that is. And it's crazy. Let me tell you something. Love is not just something physical. Love means that you're valuable to me. And if there's no physical interaction or intimacy in that way, that doesn't determine love. This book seeks out to place a high priority and preeminence on giving yourself physically to prove love. What am I saying? I'm still saying the same thing that Satan has conspired against the human race because he wants to destroy us. He hates us because we're made in God's image. He hates us. 
And you better take a look at everything that comes across the table because most of it this trending is inspired by Satan. But we know today now that just because it's trending, that don't mean it's true, is it? Amen. Okay. I'm getting ready to close now. But I want to share a story with you. First, before I share the story with you, I want to I give you something to do. I want to give you um, an application, something that you can apply, something you can take from this message and apply. Every message should give us something to apply, and these kind of messages are, are like really serious. I was thinking this morning as I was shaving, I was like, man, Lord, I ain't getting the same kind of ring to this as I did when I taught on the fragrance of prayer. <laughs> and it occurred to me, oh, no, you're not, because this is an awareness message. As much as you try to make it light, it's still very, very serious. It's very serious. It's talking about someone conspiring and plotting against you as a member of the human race, and especially the church. And Satan has made inroads into the church. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to take everything that this culture presents to you, and I want you to measure it up against the truth. That's what I want you to do. Measure it against the truth. Because that's the only way you're going to know if the trend is an acceptable one or if it could possibly be diabolical. Now, let me give you this affirmation right here. Protection and good outcomes are a result of absolutes. Truth is an absolute. Truth is so much so an absolute that it's like a yardstick with a reliable unit of measurement that assures me accuracy in any building project. Truth is like a map. It's tried and true. It's a tried and true set of highways and interstates you can count on. That thing may have been folded 50 million times and got wrinkles all in it, but man, them highways and interstates on there are tried and true and they'll take you to your destination. Truth is also like a compass. You could be in the middle of the woods, lost somewhere, but this compass will give you a sense of direction if you're looking for north so you can work from there and get to where you need to be. It'll give you a sense of true north. In that way, the compass is an absolute. In that way, the map is an absolute. In that way, the yardstick or the tape, or tape measure is, a, is an absolute. Truth is an absolute. And here's what I want you to know. As long as you have truth, as long as I have truth and we embrace it, it protects us and it assures us of good outcomes. Now, Satan wouldn't want the world to know that for nothing. Truth protects and it assures of good outcomes. Let me close with this story. 
there was a captain, and he was in a battleship out in the open sea. And it was inclement weather, and after midnight, it became very foggy, lots of fog. He had a lookout officer on the starboard part of the ship. And the lookout officer said to him, Captain, I see a light, a very bright light, straight ahead of us. And the captain says, look at it and tell me if it moves. He says, sir, it's steady. It hasn't moved. He said, well, if it hasn't moved, it's probably a ship, meaning we're on a collision course. So he radioed to what he thought was a ship and said, this is, this is a captain. I'm advising you to adjust your course 20 degrees. A reply came back and says, I advise you to adjust your course 20 degrees. The captain came back on and he says, I am a captain. I command you to adjust your course 20 degrees. He said, I am a second class seaman but I advise you to adjust your course 20 degrees. Infuriated, the captain says, I am a captain and this is a battleship. I command you to adjust your course 20 degrees. And the reply came back, I am a lighthouse. Lighthouses don't adjust their course 20 degrees. <laughs> the truth is like a lighthouse. It's reliable. It's steady. It's dependable. And it helps protect ships, navigates them through dangerous waters and conditions, and brings them into safe harbors. That's the purpose of a lighthouse. Church, that's the purpose of the truth. Amen? That's the purpose of the truth, and we have it. Remember, just because something is trending, I don't mean that. Be just like that dress my wife bought. Just because it's on sale, I don't mean it's a good buy. I mean, I get it, I go straight to the material. One time my wife had a shirt, and she was getting ready to buy it. I said, honey, what's the material? She says, 100% cotton. I said, oh, you go ahead, girl. Put it, go ahead and put it in there then. <laughs> Take the truth, church, and everything that this culture introduces, line it up against the truth. Amen? Thank you for your patience. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this time of opportunity to share your word with your precious people. And I know, Holy Spirit, that you're out there and you're doing your work. And it is a work respective to each individual in this place. And Holy Spirit, I just want you to know that I am so thankful, we are so thankful of your work that you're doing. For some, Lord, you're bringing them out of chains of bondage. For others, you're helping them to see some things clear. For others, Lord, you're helping them to know that Satan has been uncovered today. 
And we just give you thanks and praise for it in Jesus' name. Now, if there's anyone here while heads are still bowed, we want to invite you to come to Jesus today. This morning can be the best day of your life as you make Jesus your Savior. We're going to pray. And if you want to accept the Lord in your life, we're going to ask you to pray with us. Repeat after me. Father God, thank you for sending Jesus who was hung up for my hang-ups, whose innocent life and innocent blood was given for my guilty life. But now, Lord, I have an opportunity to be forgiven. Jesus, I thank you for giving your life on my behalf. I accept you now, Lord, and I commit to live for you all the days of my life. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Connecting Place podcast. For more information about Believer's Church, visit believers.cc.